Welcome to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. My name is Stacey and I'm so excited that you are joining me for season two of this podcast where we talk all things living a prophetic life. We have so many great conversations coming up, all purpose to equip and inspire you and to get you thinking about how God might be speaking to you and through you today. Yes, you. So let's go. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode in the Worship Is Collection. We are on the home stretch. We only have three more captions to go before we move on to a whole other new collection that I'm going to tell you about next week. So you have to come back to hear what's coming next. But I am so excited and it's going to be really life changing for all prophetic people. Um, It's about digging wells, but I'm not giving it all away. You have to come back and hear about it next week. But last week we captioned worship is face to face. And how special was it to hear one of Roma Waterman's face to face encounters with the Lord and my deep desire and my prayer in asking her to share that with you was that you would sense your own invitation to face to face encounters with Jesus, that through opening the scriptures together and looking at the life of Moses, through sharing some of my own stories, through Roma sharing one of her beautiful face-to-face encounters with God, that you would hear your very own invitation through the work of Jesus to come close, to encounter him face-to-face. And I would love to hear from you if that has been what has happened. I really am so honored and so privileged that you are investing part of your life in listening to these podcasts, what God has done in and through my life, what his word says, I don't take it for granted that you're tuning in. And every time you rate and review, it means so much to me. I prayerfully put these podcasts together. I prophetically put them together. What do you want to say to your prophetic collective today, Lord? What do you want to say in the next collection? And so I believe that what you're hearing today, you're not hearing by chance, but you're hearing it on purpose because it's drenched in prayer. So today's caption, we're moving from worship is face to face to worship is shoulder to shoulder. And today I am going to be talking about the church and I am passionately in love with the church. Why? Because God is in love with his church. It's Jesus' bride. The church is the one thing he is returning for. And I want to encourage you, if you're listening today and you're in a season where you're actually experiencing church hurt, I've been there, perhaps you're disconnected from community, can I just encourage you to stay open because I'm going to share a little bit today that I believe is going to really help you in your love for the church, perhaps even heal some of the hurts you are experiencing the same way God's healed some of my church hurts, and perhaps even help you to figure out how to re-engage in community. So let's get to it. I'm going to start with a Tozer quote. It's always a good place to start and middle and finish. A.W. Tozer said, 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. I love that quote. Think about it for a moment. What he's really talking about is just because you put a whole bunch of bodies together inside of a building doesn't make them a church. 
There's a whole bunch of things, including centrality of the Holy Spirit. Worship is pneuma, community centralized around the pneuma, the wind, the breath of the Holy Spirit that actually make us a church. And today we're going to look at in the chapter of this book, Worship is Shoulder to Shoulder, really what does mainly one of the main voices, Apostle Paul in the New Testament, his revelations about the church are glorious. And we're going to look at some of some of them today. Now, when I am recording this podcast here in 2022, we are in a very unique season. We've come out of two years of a global pandemic. And for many of us, church has looked very different, uh, completely different than it's ever looked than any other time in our life. I've come through a stage of recording countless numbers of online church services. And to be honest, it was the longest time in my whole life that I've not stood shoulder to shoulder with my church family. And I missed it. I missed the people. We're now currently going back to church, although we've still got another wave of COVID here in Melbourne. And so we understand that the full family is not back, but we are seeing a real momentum. And my goodness, it is so exciting to see the bride of Christ back together again. But have you noticed that when we say the word church, it conjures up so many different images for so many different people. Some people tend to cringe at the concept of church because they believe their experience has been that it's a crusty, outdated and irrelevant institution with nothing to offer their modern lives. I recently had a conversation with somebody who I was explaining to them, hey, when you say the church, it might be different than what I mean when I say the church because they were a self-confessed atheist. So I said, can you tell me what the church means to you? And because their history was European and UK uh, growing up in, in that region, the church to them was the establishment or the institution. Whereas when I talk about the church, I mean the people. Other people feel a pang of pain in their hearts because they were once vulnerable enough to stand shoulder to shoulder with people from different backgrounds and cultures. They spent time investing in trust-based relationships and then they got hurt or disappointed. Other people immediately think of the place that they're obligated to go to just at Easter or at Christmas time. Well, for me, my heart beats a little bit faster at the mention of the church. Have I been hurt in church? Of course I have. But you know what? I have had to choose not to let my experience of people's best efforts to be and to build the church, to determine my theology of what is in God's heart for the church as is clearly laid out in his word for us. And this is what I want us to look at today. What is in God's heart for the church? Now, you will know from last week's episode, those who are following along in the workbook, those who have bought and are reading the book, I am all about those face-to-face encounters with Jesus. As prophetic people, we are all about them, that we can individually have and are invited into, just like Moses was but a well-rounded, whole-of-life worship life that leads to a holistic, healthy life in every aspect includes both the individual face-to-face encounters as well as the corporate shoulder-to-shoulder experiences. I'm going to read to you Psalm 92, verses 12 to 15, and we read this about people who worship shoulder-to-shoulder with the body of Christ. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. 
They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I hope you caught that. We flourish when we worship shoulder to shoulder with the church family we're planted in. In fact, I would go so far as to say or to suggest to you today that perhaps it's worth thinking about this. Our face-to-face encounters with Jesus are more connected to our corporate shoulder-to-shoulder worship experiences than we might first think. And I want us to stay open, hold that thought today. You and I are actually wired to desire the sense of belonging found in community and family. Our world craves it. Even our triune God is relational by very nature. And people are looking and searching for belonging and community, sometimes in all the wrong places. But God actually made you and I this way. And the search is meant to lead us to our only true home, which is relationship with Jesus. And that relationship is intended to be watered and protected and to flourish when we are planted in the house of God. I actually believe, and my life experience has been, that the sense of belonging we also deeply desire can only truly be found in its intended fullness and richness within the body of Christ. Now, does it include risk? You betcha it does. Now, King David was a man who discovered what is intended for all of us in God's house. I want you to meditate for a moment on David's words in Psalm 27, verses 4 to 7. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. David says, and as I read this, you think about, is this the way you think about the church? Here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above every other thing. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. In his shelter in the day of trouble, that's where you'll find me, for he hides me there in his holiness. He has smuggled me into his secret place where I'm kept safe and secure. Is that your confession about the church? Do you feel safe and secure in the church? (laughs) Here's the thing, right? We can acknowledge the problems and run from them, or we can acknowledge the problems and contribute to the solution. It's okay if that's not how you think about the church, but I want us to dig a little bit deeper today. Because if it isn't, perhaps our love or our lack, therefore, for the church is predominantly based on our experience rather than the the church that exists in God's heart and that is revealed to us through his word. And this may even be a key indicator as to why worshipping shoulder to shoulder is not easy or fulfilling for you. You know, I have the privilege of serving in prophetic community in many different forums and in one that I'm involved with, One of the things I notice is that the prophetic people who really flourish are the ones who are connected in a church and who are submitted to church leadership. The ones who tend to be a little bit lost or feel lonely, disconnected, have potentially um, find themselves in unsafe environments are the ones who have disconnected from community. It's the same for worshippers. Well, I want to talk for a moment about do you ever feel like a spectator in corporate worship? Well, let's go there. 
You see, whenever I notice my sense of passion waning for the corporate shoulder-to-shoulder experience, I find it helpful to examine God's word once again for the reality of the vision he has for the church and then let that become the barometer for my expectation. In other words, I have chosen not to let my disappointment level taint my faith or inform my theology. This would actually shrink my world down drastically, and it will also diminish my ability to experience the fullness that Jesus died to offer me. And ultimately, it will decrease my connection and contribution to the thing that he's returning for, which is his church. Now, as we've seen, David discovered that the church in God's heart offers us a sense of belonging and wholeness in our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Now, it's Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, who uses the metaphor of the physical body, one of my faves, to describe the community of belonging that we call the church. Now, he writes, you are the body of the anointed one, and each of you is a unique and vital part of it. Eugene Peterson in The Message paraphrases 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 26 this way. He said, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. Now, Paul penned this letter in response to a very specific issue that had begun to appear within the community of believers in Corinth. So what had happened was that some members of the newly formed church were able to speak in tongues and some weren't. And the ones who believed they could had developed like a complex of superiority and believed that glossolalia or speaking in tongues was a superior gift and that the other gifts were of less importance. And so they formed this haves and have nots that was calling, causing a real divide. So if you thought you were the only person whose life group struggled with the tongues issue, aha, congratulations, no bing, bing, bing. Welcome to one of the issues that has been a problem since the church was birthed. And so this is where the Holy Spirit's revelation of the church as a body was what Paul felt under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen in his letter to the church in Corinth. He speaks of a body where every part is dependent on the other, well connected and in unity and harmony, where if one part flourishes, the rest rejoice. In reality, the very gifts that God gave this local body in Corinth to build them up and strengthen them was doing the exact opposite. It was causing division. I'm sure nobody else has ever seen that in the church. (laughs) So rather than celebrating and honoring one another's gifts that actually came from heaven, what can happen even in our church today and what's happening in Corinth is that we develop classes and echelons of importance that don't reflect what is in God's heart for his church at all and why he gave the gifts in the first place. You see, the chances are the issues you deal with in your church community today have been an issue at one point or another in church history, perhaps even at the birth of the early church like we see here. And those issues could be affecting your desire to worship shoulder to shoulder. That's understandable. But even if the particular circumstances are not exactly the same in your life, they're probably very similar and could very well come from the same root cause because guess what? People are people. And guess what the church is made up of? You guessed it, people. 
You see, we are the church. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. They are pretty harsh and severe words. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Paul's talking about here what we say about the church. So I'm talking here, Paul's talking about not the unicorns and the rainbows part of the church life, but the differences and the tensions. He's teaching that we don't all have to agree on every single thing for us to be unified, that there can be unity in our diversity when our foundation is love. You see, just because we disagree, it doesn't mean that we should stand back to back when we are called to stand shoulder to shoulder. You see, it's very difficult for us to take ground in invading the earth with God's kingdom if we are facing away from one another, standing back to back, rather than choosing to remain shoulder to shoulder. Likewise, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's serious business to turn away from one another and destroy God's temple with our words and withdrawals over our disagreements. And this is why I love that Jesus Christ is described as the head of the body. I want you to think for a moment about your head on your body. What is positioned on or in your head? Your brain, your ability to think, your eyes that provide you with your vision, your ears that enable you to hear, your nose that gives you smell, and your mouth and tongue which you speak from and taste with. The only sensory function that's not positioned primarily on our head is our ability to touch. Now stay with me here because this is important. This was a revelation the Lord shared with me that I'm sharing with you today. Could it be that the headship of Jesus Christ metaphor exists to teach us that it will only be when the church thinks, sees, hears, smells, and speaks at Jesus as Jesus does, that we will be ready for him to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, as Paul writes in Ephesians 5.27. Maybe it's only then that we will be ready for what John saw in his spirit when he wrote, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That's Revelation 19, 7 to 8. And maybe it's only when we live in this revelation and reality that we are then ready to reach out and touch the world outside of our four walls and represent Christ well. In the same way that Jesus didn't do or say anything he didn't see his father doing, the church is the fulfillment of what is in God's heart when we do the same. We not only have his thoughts, but we can think like he thinks. Because as 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, you and I have the mind of Christ. We can see things the way God sees. And we can have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. That's Ephesians 1.17 to 18. And from this place of having his thoughts and seeing what he sees, we can then speak what he would speak. Jesus himself taught his disciples in Luke that the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. 
Now, maybe you're thinking, well, cool, how can the church smell like Christ? (gasps) Or this gets better. Because Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. You see, as we spread the gospel to our family and friends, as we preach the gospel in our services, as we share our testimonies, we spread the fragrance, the smell of Christ everywhere. And these words have an aroma. And when we hear what Jesus hears, or we tune into the frequency of heaven, we have aligned all of our senses with the headship of Christ Jesus, making us ready for the ultimate marriage celebration. Now, as prophetic people, we're often tapping into our senses. So hear what I've just shared. We can align our senses with the headship of Jesus Christ over the church. And what's important here and what you know I'm all about is that the more time we spend getting to know him through the reading of the word, time spent in intimate connection, the more likely we are to hear his voice and represent it in ways that fully reflect his character in our personal lives and as the church. So if we want to know how to better hear his voice, we have to get to know him better through his word and through time and his presence. And as the body of Christ with Jesus as the head, We have been given the ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to represent him in his fullness. I love thinking about that. You know, John 1.1 talks about Jesus is full of grace and truth. And through his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. And then from his fullness, we get filled up and we represent his fullness to others. And we do this best when we accept his invitation to think how he thinks, to carry his vision for the earth, to lay down our will and our agenda. When we say what he would lovingly say about the issues our society faces, we spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere that his voice leads. And this is the mandate of the church. And the awesome thing about him being the head is we don't have to fight or dismember ourselves from the body over what we think we should do, say, or where we should go because we're not the head. We find biblical unity when we unite around learning to hear and see what God says and sees for the church in any given season. Now, I could go off on a whole tangent here about the apostles and the prophets seeing and hearing for the church, according to Ephesians 4. And I've done a whole um, collection on fivefold. So look at that. Um, You can go back and look at that. It was from season one. But for now, you get the picture. Now, we have actually touched on another of the metaphors used to describe the church, which is the church as the bride. And in Ephesians, the church and Jesus Christ are compared to a husband and a wife. And we are taught that the way a man loves his wife should be a reflection of how Jesus, the bridegroom, loves the church. So let me hearken back to what my children called the old days where TV was black and white. Not really, but that's what they think. The day I got married. I was 20 years old and I knew nothing. Funnily enough, I thought I knew everything. (laughs) I was riddled with insecurity. I was immature in my understanding of my identity in Christ. So much so that when I arrived at the church, accompanied by my dad in a luxurious limo, clad in a gorgeous billowing silk gown, I froze. I did not want to get out of the car. And when my dad was like, hey, why won't you get out of the car? I was crippled by the realization that while I walked down the aisle, people were going to look at me and that terrified me. 
In my insecurity, this was the worst thing that could happen to me, having 120 sets of eyes boring holes in my fragile spirit. I was dressed the part of the spotless and ready bride, but internally, I was far from walking in this identity. Catch this metaphor. Sometimes I think this is an appropriate reflection of what the church has become. We live in times where there are many contentious issues that we are afraid to speak up about because we're not sure that we're grounded enough in love to respond in love under pressure. We worry about how we will be perceived. We worry about what people will think about us. But it is time for the bride of Christ to rediscover who she is and to speak with confidence the thoughts and visions about the reality of the kingdom that God has revealed to us and then leave the outcomes to God. And of course, as prophetic people we know, if we don't speak in love, even the most profound truths from God's heart will be nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, many of you know by now that I am the proud mother of three boys and finally, I got my little girl. And all my kids are about two years apart. So when little Miss Eden Isabel came into the world, she had three big brothers who were two, four and six. And because I was so excited to be having a princess, I may or may not have gone a little bit overboard in decorating her room in total pink. I filled her little room with dolls and frills and I was so excited to exchange Tonka trucks for tea parties. Praise the Lord. The problem was the boys loved to visit her pinkdom and hybrid her dolls. They would take their Spider-Man head and put it on an innocent baby doll creating Spider-Baby. Other times, I would find limbs pulled off her dolls and strewn across her room, much to my horror, especially in the middle of the night when I went in for a feed and I was like tripping over an arm or leg. Essentially, my boys had created a crime scene out of the sanctuary I had set aside to be the land of princess dreams. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, we read, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Do you know that if you followed the voice of God to a local church body, and then left because of hurt and disappointment. We take what is meant to represent a functioning and effective body and we turn it into a crime scene. If God arranged you in the body, it is only he who can unarrange you. I know I just made up a word, but that's cool. It's kind of like amputating ourselves because it hurts. Do you know that having a limb amputated is known to be one of the most painful physical things that the human body can ever endure? In Australia alone, there are over 8,000 lower limb amputations per year. And often associated with these amputations is a syndrome called phantom limb pain. And what this is, is that once the limb is removed, patients can still experience pain because signals are still being sent to the amputated or affected limb. In some cases, patients report phantom limb pain for up to 50 years after they lose their limb. Let's draw a spiritual parallel. When we amputate ourselves from the body over hurt and disappointment, when we turn away from shoulder to shoulder worship, the rest of the body can experience the pain of that separation. They can still be reaching for us 50 years later. Or perhaps you're still feeling the pain after you dismembered yourself after 50 years. As Paul says, if one member suffers, we all suffer. But God's vision for his church is this. Psalm 133. Behold 
How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collars of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing and life forevermore. And this psalm is actually remarkable because once again, it presents the church as having a sound and a fragrance. In the context of the psalm, It's that the people of Israel would travel to Jerusalem for their Jewish festivals and they would sing this song of ascent as they literally ascended the hill to the temple, shoulder to shoulder. They would sing. So as the various tribes and families gathered, men, women and children of all ages from different locations were unified in this song with one voice and the sound could be heard from miles. All the people are ascending for their big party. Their unity amidst their diversity had a melodic, harmonious sound. That's what this psalm is talking about. And not only this, but David compared this unity to the anointing oil that was used to anoint the priest Aaron. Now, this oil was so highly fragrant, holy and sacred. It was mixed exclusively for the anointing of priests. And as the priest was anointed, it emitted a fragrance, a fragrance that people could smell from miles around. And so this psalm paints the picture that not only does unity have a melodic and harmonious sound, it is fragrant. Think again about the headship of Christ and everything that's on the head. So the symbolism of this oil being poured on the head is symbolic of Jesus Christ as the head of the church. As it flows down the beard, shoulders and onto the breastplate, which was inscribed with the names of all the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a beautiful picture of the anointing of Jesus Christ that we receive as part of his body. We carry his sound and his fragrance, but only as we worship shoulder to shoulder, just like our spiritual forefathers did. And there we receive his blessing, symbolized by the Jew of Hermon that speaks of God's blessing and provision for us as his children. You see, when we worship face to face in the secret place, we create an individual stream. But when we come together shoulder to shoulder, I love thinking about this. Each of our individual streams joins together and we create a raging river that can fill the house. I love the vision of the prophet Ezekiel. He talks about all of our streams coming together into a river and then the water flows out of the temple like a river of life flowing out into the wilderness and turning these arid spaces into luscious gardens that bear fruit. Listen to all of these analogies, oil flowing down, water flowing out. We're meant to live in overflow shoulder to shoulder. This is what our collective worship can do. It can become a river where everything will live where the river goes. The problem is, this cannot happen if we don't come together and join our streams. We are so much more effective. We create overflow when we come together. Yes, there is something so beautiful about cultivating the purity of your own stream. And you know I'm all about it. But to be truly effective for the kingdom, we have to come together as the body to join our streams And then we have a greater impact for God than any one individual could. Now, I acknowledge the church has made mistakes. The church has hurt good people. I have hurt people in church. I have been hurt by people in church. Is the church perfect? No, 
But all that says to me is that God is not finished yet. One of my core values in life is to take God at his word and just to keep it simple, not to overcomplicate it. So when Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I believe him. I just straight up believe him at his word. And so when the Apostle Paul articulated his revelation in Ephesians 5, that Christ gave himself up for his bride and that he would cleanse her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, I believe it. Not only do I believe it, but I choose to give my life to co-labor with Jesus to bring his kingdom to earth. And I can do this by learning to think, talk and hear as Jesus did. Is there any better definition for prophetic people? And as I do this, I carry his fragrance. We carry his fragrance and his sound to a world that desperately needs him. This is my worship, to carry the fragrance of Christ Alongside my brothers and sisters, shoulder to shoulder, Jesus himself says, you will be known by your love one for the other, not known by your ability to prophesy, not known by how well you sing worship songs, known by your unity, your love for one another. And I feel that this is really right now in my spirit. This is falling on the soil of somebody's heart. I want to prophesy right now to the person who is considering leaving your church because you are hurt and you are disillusioned. Please, please don't leave before you've revisited the revelation of the bride of Christ in the Bible and gone, you know what? I believe I can be part of the solution. Go on Matthew 18 with whoever you've been hurt by and make it right. We say in our team all the time, unity is never passive. That doesn't mean it's aggressive, but it is always proactive. Let me say that again. Unity is never passive. That doesn't make it aggressive, but it will always be proactive. We have got to fight for unity. It's worth it. Do not disconnect. Do not amputate yourself. If God is calling you out, finish well. Chances are this is an opportunity to push through a wall of disunity and receive blessing on the other side. You see, when each of us individually owns our space and responsibility to do this, then when we come together and worship shoulder to shoulder, we bring a magnified, harmonious, symphonic and fragrant piece of heaven to earth. We become a representation of what John saw in a vision. After this, I looked and behold, right in front of me, I saw a vast multitude of people an enormous multitude so huge that no one could count, made up of victorious ones from every nation, tribe, people, group, and language. That's Revelation 7, 9. Where else on earth could we find such a diverse group of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue but the church? And when we stand shoulder to shoulder and we lift our worship to God, we become a kingdom manifestation. We become kingdom on earth, shoulder to shoulder. So if you have downloaded the workbook, we've put some good questions in there, some reflection questions like, have you grown up in church or is church new for you? We invite you, we give you space to reflect on that. We've put things in there like Psalm 27, where David writes about his revelation of God's house and God's presence. We invite you to share if that's your passion for the church as well, reflect on maybe why it's not. We look at 1 Corinthians 12, the metaphor of the church as a body. 
we invite you to reflect, is your church a well-functioning body? Is it a you thing or a church problem? But just to drill a little bit deeper and see what's in God's heart. We look at the metaphor of the church as a bride. And this is an interesting reflection we've included in here. That moment when you're waiting for the bride to arrive at a wedding, is that how you feel before church? Why? Why not? And so we've included all of this in the workbook. If you just want to go a little bit deeper, we've also included a practice where you can release forgiveness to the church, to leaders in the church and to brothers and sisters in the church, and perhaps even forgive yourself for inflicting hurt in the church. So that's all included in the workbook. I really believe it's going to help you. So thanks again for joining me today. Next week, I've got an exciting announcement as we continue in captioning what worship is about what the next collection is going to be. Again, thank you so much for rating and reviewing this podcast. It really does help us to get the word out to more people about what it looks like to live a prophetic life. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I can't wait to talk to you really soon. Love ya. Bye. Did you know that Stacy also has a guided prayer podcast? Contemplative prayer is a rich, deep and rewarding way to encounter Jesus and the scriptures. With instrumental scores written to empower your encounters with Jesus, these prayers are a chance to be still and to step out of the hustle of today's fast-paced world. Available wherever you get your podcasts by searching Guided Prayers with Stacey Hillier.